This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today on the podcast, we're looking back at Jerry Brown, California's only four-term governor and three-time failed presidential candidate and mayor of Oakland. Oh, and attorney general, too. A new limited series produced by KQED is looking beyond his 12 campaigns in a show they call The Political Mind of Jerry Brown. It's on Wednesdays at 8 o'clock on KQD through the month of January, and it's available as a podcast that you can binge. Yes, I'm, I'm plugging another podcast here. That's because my friends Scott Schaefer and Guy Marzarotti of KQED spent 40 hours with Brown at his Calusa Ranch, and they came up with a series that is fascinating to listen to, whether you're a native Californian who grew up with Jerry Brown or a newcomer who just knows all the cliches about him dating Linda Ronstadt and being called Governor Moonbeam. Next, we dive into the political mind of Jerry Brown with Scott Schaefer and Guy Marzarotti. Scott Schaefer, Guy Marzarotti, welcome to It's All Political. I would say welcome to the city of St. Francis, but you're only we just six, walk like six, six blocks, blocks away. Six blocks right. away. All right. So you guys sat down for 40 hours of interviews with Jerry Brown. Uh, I've listened to, I think, a bunch of episodes, six of them. You did eight in total. Correct. Right? And, uh, and, and I love this. I got to say, I'm going to shamelessly plug it because uh, they expose the listener to the Jerry Brown that we reporters get to see. Um, a guy who's very funny, a bit cranky, always up for an argument and uh, very nakedly politically savvy. Yeah. And in fact, what, what comes across here uh, is, um, is how he kind of fluctuates from being sort of very idealistic about politics from his uh, you know, religious training almost to being just shamelessly politically opportunistic. And it, and he's so open about it here. Is that what struck you? About yeah, this? totally. I mean, and from the very first race, I mean, when he ran statewide, actually, even before that, he ran for the community college district board in yeah. uh, Los Angeles. And he was just wanted to test the name Brown because his dad had been kicked out of office a few years later. So he's checking to see like, <laughs> is the name Jerry Brown or you know Edmund G. Brown still a good one? It was. And then he ran, he manages to run as an outsider running for secretary of state, talking about money and politics and, you know, being a reformer. And that's a good trick. You know, when your dad's been the governor for eight years and your name is Edmund G. Brown Jr. And you managed to run as an outsider. Right. And he, he did that. And he was always a, uh... Um, talking of two things that come through in the podcast is he talks about, and they both involve I, versions of I. One is uh, but for I, and one is uh, having a good I. Um, let's talk about uh, when his, um, what he means by but for I, which seems to be his governing principle when he's in, uh, when his first round in governor. Right. So this is as he's taking office in 1975 with a real limit on what he views the governor can actually do. He, he described the government in Sacramento kind of like a machine. He called the state bureaucrats gnomes 
basically the gnomes are in their bureaucracy yeah. kind of moving the levers. So what what wouldn't be done but for me? What basically could I take on that if I wasn't here wouldn't get done? And the first thing we highlight is just the governor's image. And this is something he took so much from Ronald Reagan, which is I have the power to kind of shape this image that more than any bill, more than any executive order, people are going to notice things like I'm giving up the limousine for a blue Plymouth. I'm giving up the governor's mansion to live in a loft. These are the kind of frugal gestures that I think will break through and at the time did break through and kind of gave him an, an image that went beyond the state of California. And he's very cognizant of optics all the time from a very young age. And where does that come from? Well, gosh, I mean, I think growing up in and around politics and being an astute observer, I mean, it's interesting because when he was a kid, you know, we the conversations we had with him were sort of chronological. And so we talked to him about being a kid and growing up in San Francisco. His dad was the DA and then the attorney general. And he claimed that politics was not talked about in the House. It was not part of the family dinner conversation, for example. And initially, he didn't really want to get into politics. He went into the seminary. He was mm -hmm. studying to be a Jesuit priest. And at some point, the light just goes off. He was actually in the governor's mansion. His dad was governor up in Sacramento, and he was studying for the bar exam. And he overheard this conversation with his dad and Jess Unruh, the speaker who wanted to run uh, for, for, the, uh, for governor instead of Pat Brown. And he, the light just went off. He just said, you know, I want to be I want to be governor one day. And also when we're talking about image. Jerry Brown, he's old enough to have lived through politics becoming an optical game, right? Like when Pat Brown was running for a district attorney of, of San Francisco, he was making speeches on the radio and publishing position papers. Jerry Brown watched kind of the transformation of politics into this era where you've got to look good. And he talked again and again about how good Ronald Reagan looked on television and what nice suits he used to wear. And that all was really <laughs> sinking in really around the 1966 election when Ronald Reagan beat his father. And I think you go back and watch those debates. It is like watching a politician from a new era versus kind of the old guard, just in the way that they're presenting themselves. Right. And I think With, Jerry Brown took a lot from that. Yeah. And uh, I, I was uh, also I love hearing Jerry talk about his childhood because he rarely talks about it. And he's still very uncomfortable about talking about it. The uh, several times in which in your interviews with him, you try to get him to talk about, you know, his feelings and his uh, impressions of things. How did that go? He makes fun of you. Like he'll yeah. say, oh, you want me to talk now about how I feel? You want me to emote, <laughs> you know? And, and he really is very resistant to that uh, and didn't really get into it much at all. The first time we sat down, the very first thing we talked about was his childhood. And it was like after this first session, Guy and I were like, oh, my God, this isn't going to work. He just doesn't want to talk to us. And then he warmed up. And we actually circled back much later to talk about his dad and the influence his dad oh, really? had. Okay. And so he did warm up and he was much more uh, I think forthcoming. That said, he is he's he's much more intellectual. I think we we know that he's not a, he's not someone who talks about his emotions or his feelings. And um, he gets emotional. He gets passionate for sure. Yeah. But it's all it's usually about ideas and right. issues contained within politics. I mean, it's interesting. You go back. Pat Brown did a similar oral history with the Bancroft Library, and that is full of I made this decision and I was so depressed by the reaction I got, and I felt so bad and i had this relationship with you, you get none of it i mean well, jerry brown is it's all intellectual it's all really contained within as we say the political mind well it's which was it's fascinating because you use a lot of those archival clips i'm guessing from uh, especially from from pat brown when he talks about the, the carol tressman uh, uh, uh execution and, and how he wrestled with that and we don't get a lot of wrestling from jerry we we do get a couple of insights that were thought were really interesting about um when he shows some vulnerability and surprisingly <clears throat> the one thing that he ha expresses some regrets about 
are the medfly. How we how we reacted to the medfly. Re- refresh us on what the medfly was for the new yeah. Californians listening. Well, it really resonated for me because I moved to California in 1981. And that was yeah. exactly when he was wrestling with this thing. And there was this pest, this Mediterranean fruit fly that was infesting fruit trees and other kinds of crops. And so the growers in California really wanted to get rid of it. It was, yeah. you know, it was threatening their livelihood and the produce and all the other products that come out of the Central Valley. And in particular, down in what's now Silicon Valley, there were all these fruit trees <clears> and and there was a lot of pressure to spray malathion. And Jerry Brown resisted, resisted, resisted. And then finally, after a lot of hemming and hawing, the Reagan administration threatened to boycott California produce. And he acknowledged that was a good move. You know, that was a smart political move because it forced him to do it. And he actually, I think, I believe he went down and slept down there that night in Los Gatos while they were, you know, spraying to be with the people. But looking back on it, I think of all the things he talked with us about, to me, that seemed like the one he wishes he could do over because he realized it, it was really problematic. It damaged his, his, his reputation in a way that I think lingered when he ran for the U.S. Senate in 1982 against Pete Wilson. Of course, he lost that election. And I think by that time, people just thought this guy is just so disorganized. He's not at all, uh, doesn't know how to make a decision. He's not decisive. And and I think he really feels, thinks about that. He's thought about that a lot. Um, Speaking of uh, disorganized and and, uh, when he talks, when you talk to people about his first term, uh, you know, you have uh, him. There's a lot of chaos in the in the uh, in the administration. There, people don't know what to do. Uh, you know, he, they say, "Well, Jerry wanted to be a philosopher king, and then we're supposed to figure out what to do." And you, the guy you referred to, the gnomes earlier, it made me think of a a current governor we have right. with uh, 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 Gavin Newsom. We were I was on your show a couple a couple, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about this. And do you get the sense that? Now, Newsom has a much more professional team uh, there. He's also been a much more seasoned politician than Jerry Brown and who came from, you know, from the secretary of state's office. But are there any parallels here between year one of uh, Gavin Newsom and year one or two of Jerry Brown? Totally. And I think even beyond just the governors themselves, when you talk about bringing in teams, you know, the legislature, it functions so much as there's so much stored history there. And when you bring in people who haven't worked in the Capitol and haven't worked in state government as both Jerry Brown and and Gavin Newsom did, there is a huge learning curve of just kind of figuring out relationships with the legislature. They're both they're in similar places in that, you know, when Jerry Brown arrived in 1975, all the state legislators is before term term limits. They're all older than him. I mean, he's you know, there's they've worked with his dad. And I think there's a huge learning curve just deciding how do we how does our administration work? How do we work with the legislature and what do we prioritize? I mean, Jerry Brown was someone who once he got into an issue, he was all in on that. And oftentimes in state government, it's hard to do that. There's so many things happening and and it's hard to really dedicate yourself, especially when you don't have a real organization set up. Gray Davis told us he didn't even have a scheduler when he was governor. Yeah. And another parallel I would say is, you know, I think I think Jerry Brown is somewhat critical of of the current governor because he's always out and about. He's tweeting. He's appearing in places. That was very much Jerry Brown, 1975. He was very much spontaneous. He was running for president. And we all know Gavin Newsom wants to be president at some point. And it's just like chomping at the bit. Would love to be out there. He's all excited about going to Iowa to campaign for Kamala, (laughs) I think. So, you know, it's interesting. Yes, I think there are a lot of parallels between Jerry Brown 1.0 and this uh, current first you know year or so of Gavin Newsom. And the, the, one of the more the funnier bits is when you talk about his first run for president, where he decided literally at what five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, Gray Davis, the former governor who was then his chief of staff, really didn't know about it either. And no. he just kind of 
said, well, I, I guess I'm running. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. And it was March. It was March of the year of the election. Right. Yeah. There was four. I mean, by the time he started campaigning, four months of primaries were already over. I mean, that's just like unthinkable in today's political climate when you have these runs that are meticulously planned years in advance. He, I think he kind of looked around and felt like, I've done what I wanted to do here in, in Sacramento. Let's just try it. Let's do it. And it was I, almost from the beginning, mathematically, there was no chance he was going to beat Jimmy Carter just based on the delegates. But he felt like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. And for a while, he really had a really good run. He didn't have a plan, of course, to win the nomination. Um, Nancy Pelosi helped him win Maryland, which we talk about yes, in one Pelosi of the episodes. Makes an appearance. But he didn't really have a long term plan for anything. You know, he would literally we heard from people that work with him. He would come in in the morning, look at the papers and then decide, oh, here's an issue that's playing out. Let's jump on that. You yeah. know, it was very spontaneous. It's funny because Kathleen Brown, his sister, told us, you know, if he had married Ann Gus Brown, his wife, earlier, he would have been president. Yes. Joe Trippi told me that also uh, years ago when I did a, a, a profile on, on Ann. And she makes an appearance. Uh, I've not heard these episodes, but she you, you sit down and I heard a bit of her, but she, you sit down and talk with her. Yeah, she was up there every day. We were up there. Uh, she wasn't there. She would be off, you know, in the garden or doing something, whatever she was up to. But we did sit down with her the last day we were there. And, you know, she really brought about a sea change, both for him personally, of course, but right. uh, professionally as well. She brought order, focus, timeliness and uh, discipline to an operation that was not known for that. Right. And and and, and uh, I imagine in the later episodes, you'll get into how much he matured between uh, 1.0 and 2.0. Um, in between 1.0 and 2.0, Jerry Brown was the governor of my city of Oakland. <laughs> um, and I just as I was moving there um, <clears throat> and he made a couple of key decisions, which you cover here about uh, moving people downtown. And, and but you also call him out for. Um, you know, he definitely changed the face of Oakland, but, uh, the downside is he changed the face of Oakland. It is, uh, it, it, many people say that it led to the exodus of African-Americans, uh, in Oakland. Um, but he seems that those are the warmest feelings he has in this series is about Oakland. Why, why is that? Well, a couple things. One, I think he felt like he could make a difference immediately. He could walk out of his office and walk over to the planning department, as he did on behalf of Willie Brown, and he tells that story, and have a real impact. He could go out to a restaurant and talk to constituents. You know, when you're up in Sacramento, whether you're a legislator or the governor, you're pretty removed. People don't have access to you. But he had very little security detail. He would go out and about in Oakland, and people could get angry if they wanted. And they did. They would come up to him, yell at him, and he would listen. And he could, you know, he could say, let's build housing. And then he could see the construction cranes. You know, it was a very direct, you do this and it gets done. And the flip side of that, and as you'll hear in the Oakland episode, some really biting criticism from current Mayor Louis yes. Schaff, who was on Jerry Brown's staff when he was mayor, that, you know, getting closer to a lot of these issues, riding along with cops, it may have gotten him too close to the point where he felt in the case of public safety so aligned with the Oakland Police Department that when a scandal like the Riders hit in 2000, he was almost, you know, he took their side. And it's still to this day, I think, pretty uh, defensive about his relationship with the Oakland Police Department and the issues that they dealt with. Uh, when he was mayor and in the year since. Well, and I think very deep down, he also appreciates what police do, you know, and first responders generally. Yeah. He does see, you know, hey, those are tough streets. And he uses some pretty colorful language to describe yeah. the kinds of things that they see and face out on the streets as, you know, OPD uh, members. I was, I was surprised to hear the Libby criticism of him, especially because uh, Jerry, uh, he basically pushed her over the line in her first run with the late, with that very, very late endorsement. Uh, but so I was, I was surprised to hear her 
to call him out like that. So Yeah, and I would say I think there was so much speculation at the time and in the year since that, oh, you know, his alignment with the Oakland Police Department was really just leading up to his running for attorney general. This was a political move. But I think in the interview, the Oakland interviews, there it, he didn't give the sense that this was just a political calculus. I think he really believed in the mission of the Oakland Police Department and, you know, took their side when it came to these debates about use of force. Well, and he was very passionate, too, about and he got criticism at the time. And you alluded to it, Joe, that, you know, he was focused on building market rate housing, not yes. affordable housing. And he wanted the reason was he wanted to revitalize downtown. And, you know, as he told us. If you bring, quote unquote, poor people downtown, they don't have money to spend uh, on other things. They're not going to go shopping. They're not going to go to restaurants. I mean, those are things that I think were very, you know, certainly his honest belief. But I think for some people, they're going to hear that. When I heard that, I was like, wow, no politician would say that <laughs> right. now. That would be he says it in a very indelicate way. Should we say <laughs> more of my conversation about the political mind of Jerry Brown after this short break? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. And now here's more of my conversation about the political mind of Jerry Brown. He also, uh, you, you talk about his sort of transformation from, uh, and again, he's, it, it's just nakedly political. Uh, he was a reformer, you know, when he, when he ran for the, uh, uh school district or the, um, uh, community college, the community board. college board in uh, Los Angeles, uh, and then the secretary of state. And then, you know, later in life, he's like, well, transparency, that's kind of overrated. Let's play a little clip of the trans. Jerry talking about how transparency, meh, whatever. Of course, the trouble with making it transparent, then everybody sees the money flowing and it makes it feel worse. So the press loves transparency because you get clicks out of it and you get uh, sell papers. We've all heard politicians demand more transparency around money and politics, arguing that it will restore public confidence. But it has the exact opposite effect because it reveals all the foibles and flaws and warts of the system and it just undermines confidence all the more so that's a paradox what the hell's up with that i mean well, i can't believe he i he was saying that because he i mean he I, wrote the political reform he act. wrote the political <laughs> reform act and then later in life of course uh we hasten to add that the governor's never really released his taxes i was gonna say yeah exactly <laughs> so what's good for the goose eh, maybe not so much for the gander not so much. yeah <laughs> no i i what i think what he was saying there was it only inspires cynicism about politics people see all the money and you know who's how the lobbyists are funding all the politicians and you know basically a quid pro quo for things even though you can't do that legally i think that's what he was saying but he's also as governor you know he was did not embrace additional reforms particularly like for i mean for example maybe this is not a good example but he vetoed the bill to force trump to release his own taxes yes um, yes which in turn you know in the end he turned out to be right it was not constitutional but you know he, he was not a big advocate in later you know jerry brown 2.0 for transparency but this is something you'll get throughout the series. I think there's he's a rare politician who will step back and question things that he had assumed early in his career. And something like transparency and political reform falls into this. I think so many politicians, if they've put their name on something, it's like you're riding or dying with it. And I think he's had the experience and, and just the mind, the intellect to step back and say, you know, I really held this belief strongly. Uh, 
is that still true or is is disclosure good is transparency good now you could say there's a lot of cynicism involved he was making these reform runs while he was trying to get higher office whether that was the governor's office or the president's well and he also was willing to take money from say the oil companies or business right. to get prop 30 passed the tax increase that really saved the school from really massive deep cuts and you know his, he would say look yeah well i'll take their money if they want to help me pass a tax to keep the schools funded sure i'll do that it doesn't mean they're going to influence my thinking about say fracking, uh, although Which there were men, there were still some who say about. that it did. Yeah. Yes. Um, the uh, I also want to play a clip about how he's how his feelings are about political campaigns have changed. Let's hear an excerpt from the show. Brown used his ability to think for himself in that 2006 run for attorney general. Brown refused to hire a team of political consultants. He doesn't go along with conventional wisdom. He's built up a, a body of experience that uh, has guided him in terms of what he thinks is important and not. Steve Glazer, he's a state senator now, was one of the few advisors who Brown did lean on for help over the years. He has, uh, over time, kind of disdains the, the tapestry and the conventional view of political engagement and has kind of carved his own path. Brown says that when he entered politics, people had a personal connection to the campaigns they worked on. The campaigns were more more like a cause. We were all working because we believed in it. The political business of paid people, who were, that is their life profession. I, I think that was much less in the 60s and 70s. In the last few decades, candidates have relied more and more on a class of political consultants to help them manage and message their campaigns. Now you're just a mercenary. You, you run a campaign, then you run somebody else's campaign. Did you resist that? I do still feel a little uncomfortable with that. Brown says he liked to take more control of his campaigns than most candidates. There are horses and there are jockeys. And I'm a horse, although I like to be a jockey at the same time. So what what do you think behind that? Because he does have, uh, Jerry does have the, the, the fact that California's top political consultants working for him. Uh, but it is a tight group. I mean, that the group that ran his governor's campaign in, in 2010 was Glazer and his wife and a couple other folks. But that it was a small group in the, you know, they had an office in Oakland and, and uh, <laughs> a lot of volunteers. But yeah, but his big campaign operation at the top was a Smith, you know, yes. his that firm, SCN, as it was called mm-hmm. at the time. They also had Gavin Newsom. As a client, Kamala Harris, Libby Schaff, Ed Lee. So I think he saw that whole operation, you know, in the holiday parties with all the, you know, all the different <laughs> candidates there. And they're like, well, what do they really believe in? You know, do they, are they just taking my money or do they believe in me? You and know? I think even when we were, I, if I remember right, when we recorded that interview, Dan Newman was in the room, like, and he's helped <laughs> Brown over the years. I think he likes just, you know, poking jabs at people and, and pointing out the fact that, look, whatever you guys know, I've knew that. 20, 10 years before, like he's been in the game much longer than a lot of the consultants that run the game in California today. And I think he, you know, he likes to keep his circle tight and really be his own political advisor. He even mentioned while he was attorney general, he said, you know, subsequent attorney generals, they hire a lot of political consultants to help them handle the policy and politics out of the job. I didn't need that. I, I have my own mind in that regard. Right. And so I think he really he relied on Anne, who brought the organization and the staffing, and then he said, everything else I can handle. Well, and, and let's not forget, Jerry Brown is famously cheap, right? Yes, frugal. That, or should we say frugal? Frugal. I mean, he's still got 15 yes. million bucks in his the man, political the, the account. The man eats off other people's plates when he goes out to dinner with them. That's, <laughs> that is, uh, and that is a fact. Uh, in fact, at one of those uh, Christmas parties, um, 
uh, I, I was talking with the governor and uh, he was showing me, you know, photos as he was of the ranch at Calusa. And I was like, you're, you're going to be back in six months. You're not, you're going to hate it there. And Anne's going to hate it there. He goes, no, no, no. I like it. So you've spent a lot of time up there. Give us, paint us a little bit of the you want scene. some restaurant reviews? <laughs> there's two of them. <laughs> there's two. That's it. Yeah, there's two. So what is the, what's the scene like there? Well, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Oh, it is? But it's okay. very remote. I mean, so, you know, the town, nearest town is Williams, which is right off the uh, I-5. And so that's where we stayed at the lovely Granzella Motel. Uh, and then it's another 15, 20 minutes to his home. And so you go up Route 20 and then there's another like 15 minutes of winding road. And you've got a little creek on one side and the hills and the mountains and animals on the hills grazing. Wow. And then, as he says, you know, if you put in my address in Yahoo Maps, you're going to go right by my house and keep going to Lake County. It's just so remote that it's not easy to find. You know, he's wow. got a P.O. box. I don't think he actually has a, an address. Um but, you know, it's very, it's it's austere, but it's beautiful. You know, mm -hmm. it's all wood, uh, wood. And we sat every time we went up there at this long communal table that was, uh, you know, solid wood. Um, he was growing tomatoes in the backyard. He has a composter that he puts stuff in. Um, he, uh, you know, they're all they're doing, of course, they're recycling and all that stuff. But, you know, there's no one really around. I mean, one day in the middle, uh, a neighbor knocked on the door. He clearly knows everybody around there. He likes to talk with them about the history of the land. And, you know, he, he's very focused on his own family history. He told us at one point that he wished his great grandfather had kept a diary of what life was like. But, you know, he would talk about, oh, yeah, you know, the stagecoach used to stop over there and there was a a hotel over there. I mean, but to be clear, he's not isolated from the political world. He's still, I mean, there would be times he would kind of cut off the interviews and say, hey, I have a call with some Bill Perry. Bill Perry <laughs> or something Perry involved. You know, oh, he's wow. back on the board of the Oakland Military Institute. I have a call yeah. on that. And I want to, I have a, you know, meeting with the president of Arizona State or someone coming up for this UC climate initiative. So he still has a lot of things that this is kind of like mission control where he's having his calls out to the world from Calusa. We actually joked with him about, hey, maybe you could run for, you know, supervisor of Calusa County or mayor, <laughs> be mayor of Williams. And uh, one thing he told us, which uh, I don't remember if we actually put it in the, in the in the podcast, but uh, he thought about running for state school superintendent after he left the governor's office. Oh my so he's gosh. clearly not done. He's still thinking about <laughs> what he could do and you know how he could make a difference. So you've uh, you've known him for how many years now? 20, 15, 20 years. You've yeah, covered him I mean, for certainly back to before he was mayor. Yeah. What did you learn about him that you didn't already know? Well, there were some real like specific things. Like he had thought about running for mayor of Los Angeles. Yeah, that and, was that was news. I had never and heard thought that. about running for mayor of San Francisco and the way he settled on Oakland. You know, it it wasn't quite as organic as some people thought it was. The fact that he considered in, endorsing Proposition 13, the property tax measure, which he later did that 180. And people thought he did endorse it. He was so masterful in embracing it and implementing it that Howard Jarvis actually cut an ad for his yes. reelection campaign. Um, so there was that. And, I, you know, I think there were also moments of real. I, I hesitate to use this word because I don't want to make it seem like it was more than it was, but. He, his relationship with Anne, you know, is is he clear they really love each other. And, yes. No, that's and you see there were clear. moments yeah. where I saw there was one day where and this wasn't recorded or anything, but she was driving into town and they only have one car. And so she said, well, I'm going into town, Jerry. I'll see you later. And he just looked up at her and he said, I'm going to miss you. And it was so sweet, you know. And so there was that side of him that I don't think a lot of people get to see much. Um, and then just the Im incredible, you know, encyclopedic knowledge of politics and how he thinks about every decision, every issue uh, right. in, in great detail, great depth. 
Um, so this is going to be this is going to be airing on the radio on KQED as well. Wednesday um, nights uh, throughout the month of January at uh, eight o'clock. But you can uh, listen to the entire you can binge listen to the podcast yes. as well. And you will have a live event on. Go ahead. Yeah. So we're going to be with the governor. We're doing an onstage interview with him at the Herbst Theater in San Francisco Monday night, uh, January 13th. Starts, I think, at seven o'clock. And if you want tickets, you can go to kqed.org slash events. And so what did he think of it? Does he have you get any feedback on these series from the governor? He hasn't heard it yet. Well, he hasn't heard. Did, yeah, he didn't well, have final. Find out he, on he had no control. No, no, no control. No, uh, no editorial control. No editorial control. And actually, that was it was an interesting. So we started this project as an oral history with the Bancroft Library. And usually the subjects of oral histories are able to edit and he will be able to edit his oral history with the Bancroft. But then we had this other agreement where we could take all the tape from the interviews and do what we want with it. So that's how we came with the series. And yeah, if you want to find out what he thought of it. Monday night. Yeah. Well, when we met with him, but at the beginning, before we in the governor's mansion, before he left office, you know, we told him we were, well, we're going to talk with you for 30, 40 hours. And then we're going to talk with other people to get their perspectives on your life. And he just said, well, why do you want to do that? They, <laughs> they don't have the right perspective. They're like, I do. <laughs> so we'll see what he thinks of the series. That, as I said, the, my, some of my favorite parts of this are the, is when he argues with you about the questions that you're asking. And we left that in. We, oh. we could have cut that out. No, you know, no, but that was so fun. It, it is so Jerry Brown. Oh, it is very Jerry Brown. Guys, thanks for being on It's All Political. Congrats on the on the series. And it's uh, fun. I, I commend it to all, even though I, this is the first ever time I've plugged someone else's Love podcast. Love yes, Thanks, but thanks Joe. Appreciate Joe. it. All right. I'd like to thank you all for listening today. I'd like to thank Scott and Guy for walking eight blocks to be on the podcast today. I know it was a huge sacrifice for them. I'd like to thank the king, King Coffin, and the crate one, Karen Creighton, for producing today's episode. And remember, whether you're shamelessly running for every office in the state of California or living off the grid in the middle of nowhere in Calusa County, it's all political. It's all political as part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.